Welcome to the Young IPA Podcast. I'm James and this is not Pete. Uh, we have our roving podcast reporter, Mr. Vox Pop himself, Adam Schlick, sitting in for Peter this week. Adam, welcome back. G'day, everyone. Uh, so it is episode 140. It is the 19th of December, the last show of the year, which uh, fills my heart with pure sadness because I do love doing this show. Uh, but we'll be back next year and we got a big, we, we are ending on a big show. We are. If I may say so. Big events have happened. Big events have happened. Uh, and we have the people you want to hear from. So we've got Brendan O'Neill, great friend of the show, uh, going to be breaking down the British elections for us and what he thinks and, you know, the new divides in society, which I uh, we really enjoyed. So you guys are going to love hearing it. And not to diminish Brendan O'Neill, but the biggest guest we've had this year, the one I've been looking forward to, the one we teased at the end of last week's episode, Grunt the Pig. Huge. is on the show. Uh, so for people that don't know, we do a segment every week where Pete and I pick out the heroes of the week. People have stood up for freedom. We named it after Grunt the Pig, who was a pig that uh, got fined for basically being a pig. Uh, council will... The Wangaratta local council said that he was too big to walk the streets of Wangaratta. They fined him for being a pig, and uh, he took on the council and won, both him and his own. It wasn't just a one-pig effort. So we went down to Wangaratta. I'll explain it later in the show. Uh, But yeah, we went down to Wangaratta to meet Grunt the Pig himself and decide who was the hero of the year. A nice uplifting story to end the year on. Absolutely. Well, the other uplifting story was Jeremy Corbyn is, like, gone. His political career is dead uh i was completely wrong last week pete and i had the dunce hat uh bet over what was going to happen in the british elections now since pete isn't here i thought it was unfair to rob him of the experience of seeing me try and wear that dunce hat which is way Mm -hmm. too small for my head for an entire show so we'll do that next year uh but yes, Boris Johnson is Prime Minister. Look how happy he is. Uh, so yeah, those are the stats. And then we've got the photo of him in full celebration for the people who are watching this instead of audio. But that is a man who is celebrating. And I celebrate too, because if Boris Johnson is Prime Minister, then I get to do my favourite thing about Boris Johnson, which is play the clip of the time you absolutely cleaned up an eight-year-old kid playing rugby. Watch him lower the shoulder. Sit oh. down, kid. Uh, again, this is for the people on YouTube. Just look up Boris Johnson Rugby. It's the first thing you see. We've got the action slow motion replay. He goes straight into it. I've never seen that. <laughs> it is the best I'm clip of really any politician I'm disappointed ever. that I haven't. Yeah, I'm exactly. going to watch it a lot more times. Like, there were so many moments that Boris Johnson could have uh, opted to not plow through that kid, <laughs> and he went away from each and, and every one of them. There's a lot of videos on the internet of different politicians playing sports, yeah. always badly. Jo- John Howard playing cricket, the famous yeah. one. There's like Kevin Rudd playing down ball, yeah. which really caught on. Theresa May dancing. Yeah. Not a sport, but, Not a you sport know, but very funny. Still I think, watch the clip. I think Theresa May and Boris Johnson are my top two. Well, yeah. UK, thank you guys. All right, so let's run through some uh, stats and figures. So Conservatives won 47 more seats to bring them to 365. Labor had 203 seats, which is the lowest that they've had since 1935. That majority that the Conservatives have... Oh, thank you for putting the stats up, Saul. That majority that the Conservatives have is the biggest they've had since the 80s. This is a trouncing. Like... Uh, Here's some other stats for you. 24 seats that Labor had held for decades voted Conservative. Bishop Auckland, one of the seats, uh, elected a 25-year-old Tory MP, which is the first time a Conservative had been elected MP in Bishop Auckland in 134 years. Like, this is some big stuff. And, you know, you would have seen how it's like the Labor red wall, seats that would have, you know, there's like this idea that like there was a section of Britain that would have voted for a donkey as long as they were with Labor. Mm -hmm. They all voted Conservative. Late, uh, you know, it's a new defining thing. So we are going to be talking about that with Brendan O'Neill. Uh, but the takeaway I definitely got from this election was that it turns out the British people do want Brexit. Yep, which is surprising considering yep. they voted yes. Yes. 
and then they voted for the UKIP party, and then they voted for the Conservatives again. Like, it turns out they actually do want Brexit, and if you do go up with a, like, neutral Brexit stance or a second referendum stance, you're going to get owned. The media will still try and tell you that they don't really want it, and they don't know what they're voting for. Because the media doesn't want it. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, the people I talk to at my parties don't want it, and therefore Britain doesn't want it. Uh, Britain has spoken. Britain has spoken. Uh, And, yeah, I'm just glad, because I definitely, as you would have heard on last week's show, I did have the creeping sense that Boris Johnson was... uh, Sorry, no, that Jeremy Corbyn was going to win. There were just those, like, last-minute polls, last-minute slip-ups. I mean, Boris Johnson hiding in a fridge... Always yep. a good win, uh, if anyone saw that. Now, the other part, because like, I want to leave a lot of this for what uh, Pete and I talk about with Brendan O'Neill later in the show, but my favourite part of British politics, I didn't get to discuss this with Brendan, uh, is this. Every every political leader in Britain has to give their speech, whether they won or lost, from mm-hmm. their local constituency. And they share a podium, no matter what happens, with the other people that ran in that seat. A lot of people who follow British politics closely already know what I'm talking about because like, you've got the famous person, Lord Buckethead, that would just run against popular people just so he could share that podium. And it leads, and it's stupid and it's inconsequential and I'm sure it'll get old quickly, but every five years you get clips like this, which if we can play it now, which is like Jeremy Corbyn <laughs> giving the most gut-wrenching speech of his life, his political career is over, and the guy behind him is wearing this like fluoro yellow and white t-shirt combination with his insane <laughs> top hat. And he's and loving. He it. is loving every Time's single second. Like, fairly so. Good yeah. on him. And it's just perfect to me because you know you can run around with the, the elites of the political world, and you can run around with the internationalists, but eventually you're going to have to share a stage with a dude with a giant top. Which is what democracy is all about. That you know, is everyone what gets a it's voice. All about, including Buckethead man. Including Buckethead man, Lord Buckethead. Lord don't, Buckethead. Don't sorry. desecrate his uh, honor. All right, sorry. Uh, this is the part of the show where we would do heroes and villains. So, yeah, I think I explained all this in the clip. But, yeah, Pete and I, we got in the car with Saul. We took some video. We went up to Wangaratta to talk to Grant the Pig himself. We had a photo of who we thought were the biggest heroes of the year. I had the Hong Kong protesters. Pete had the Iranian women who were the first women in decades to be able to watch a soccer match. And we put one of Grant's favorite treats on both photos to figure out who the winner of the hero of the year, the Grant the, Grant the Freedom Pig snort of the year, was. Okay, we are here in beautiful Wangaratta on a gorgeous day. God's country. God's country for the biggest interview of the year. So we finally met Grunt the Freedom Pig and his owner, Matthew. And uh, we do the Grunt the Pig Freedom Snort every year. So this week we brought in our two biggest heroes of the year and Grunt the Pig is going to decide who is the biggest hero. Now, but for new listeners of the show who are familiar with the Freedom Pig but don't know Grunt's backstory. So Matthew, tell us what happened with Wangaratta City Council. Well, there was a, a lady in the council who had a bug up her butt about Grunt and uh, just banned him from the street all on her own. Like she didn't even tell the mayor or anyone else in council what she was doing. Mm-hmm. She just did it. And then, um, uh, yeah, there was a big old media uproar about it. And the council came to me and said uh, there wasn't great communication and we'd be fine for you to walk around the street just not in the main street. Right, but for how long was Wangaratta City Council telling you that Grunt the Pig can't walk around? Uh, it was about uh, three weeks. Yeah. But yeah, the first week I didn't do anything about it and then I put it up on Facebook and then I got massive community support. And then, yeah, it just like, the media started flying in and 
Uh, there was a project and all that. Uh, Grunt is <laughs> up and about. Matt, how do you feel, you know, knowing that there's a podcast down in Melbourne that broadcasts all across Australia, in fact, all across the world, that celebrates the pig grunt every single week? Well, I was surprised about it, and I was like, maybe I should start watching this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, please. <laughs> yeah. All right, so, uh, like I said, we're going to get Grunt to decide the two biggest heroes of the year. There's no one I'd rather decide. So, uh, Pete, who have you nominated for Hero of the Year? Okay, yeah, I've nominated the uh, Iranian female soccer fans who, in October, for the first time in over 40 years, or 40 years approximately, uh, were able to watch uh, uh, the Iranian national team play after years and years of protesting, a lot of self-sacrifice, stood up for women's rights, stood up for freedom. Uh, they beat Cambodia 14-0, which was good, but, uh, yeah, they are my Hero of the Year, and I hope Grunt picks them. All right, sweet. Oh, I've got the Hong Kong protesters. Uh, they took a bad loss yesterday with Greta Thunberg getting uh, Times Person of the Year. It should have been the Hong Kong protesters, as Times Reader said. But uh, hopefully, Grunt the Pig is able to, uh, you know, reward them for all the good work that they've done. Where's so, the real prize? Yes. Uh, so, for people listening at home, what we're now going to do, we've both got pictures of our heroes. We're going to put them in front of Grunt. Where should I put mine? Just next to him, just oh. but further away enough. And uh, I've got one of Grunt's favourite treats here. So if I can just get... Hey, Grunt. Hey, Grunt. Look Grunt. Grunt. Look what I got. No, he's seen, seen the ones in my hand. Hey, look at this one. All right. Oh, look what I got. All right, so I'm going to drop no him. No cheating, James. We're going to drop him and see who yeah. Grunt picks as Hero of the Year. <laughs> this is a big moment. Come on. Oh. Okay. Grunt's, Grant. Grunt's Grant. taking a bit of a time to decide. All right. <laughs> I'm walking over this way. Grunt's oh, what's he going? Oh, he's, oh, he's going to pick up. <laughs> I think that's a pick. That's <laughs> he's trying to find the treat. Let me get that out of here. You beautiful big boar. I've never suffered enough. So, just for those listening, I think people have figured it out. Yeah, so Grunt the Pig went straight to the female Iranian soccer fans. Look, it's not a competition. The Hong Kong protesters are worthy winners as well. But, you know, the They are the two biggest heroes of the year, but the Iranian soccer fans. Iranian female soccer fans. Iranian female soccer fans. Grunt the Pig has decided that they are the biggest hero of the year. And he's not had enough. He wants some more treats. There's more over here. There's more. So, yeah, All right, we'll... sweet. Okay, yeah. uh, we got more show for you guys coming up after this. Okay, we are now welcomed onto the show once again, but one of the best friends we have here at the Young IPA Podcast. Absolutely. Brendan O'Neill, editor of Spiked Online, one of the great websites in the world. Brendan, welcome back to the show. Hey, how's it going? Uh, very well. So let's talk about British elections because uh, that's one of the most amazing results that people could have anticipated. I know people are thinking about a big majority, but I don't think anyone thought that big. So let's talk about it. Labor has its worst performance since 1935 and the Conservatives have their biggest majority since the 1980s. Why is that the case? I think it, to me it's really obvious, which is that Boris was offering people something that Labour wasn't, which was to uphold the Brexit vote of 2016. You know, it's, it's, it, it can be difficult for, for non-Brits to understand just how much Brexit casts a shadow over this country. In my view, it's a very positive shadow, not a bad shadow. Um, but that's how people define themselves now. People are either for or against Brexit. That's the only political divide in this country that matters. And if you look at where um, Boris's Tory party picked up seats, it was in the so-called Red Wall area. So the Red Wall is this long, long terrain of seats that have been held by Labour for 60 or 70 years, or even longer in some cases, stretching from North Wales to the Midlands of England and, and the North of England. Um, these seats have been red for, uh, some of them have been red longer than the Queen has been on the throne. I mean, they've always been Labour. 
and the Tories have now taken them. And, and that, to me, is the most revealing thing, because the most important thing about those working class areas is that those are the parts of England where support for Brexit was strongest. That's where we saw 65 percent uh, Brexit vote or 70% Brexit vote. So it's not surprising to me at all that those people have now swung to the Tories in an historically unprecedented political realignment. And I think it just makes British politics absolutely fascinating for the next five years. Brendan, you had a fantastic piece about the election in Spiked Online, which everyone should check out. Uh, there's a bunch of seats that Labor's held for decade that voted Conservative. We saw Bishop Auckland's Tory MP, uh, 25-year-old Dehenna Davison. Uh, it's the first time a Conservative has been voted in, in 134 years. Do you think traditional mm. left-right uh, divides are melting away, um, or is the defining divide now, I know you said it was Brexit, but it's also elites versus the rest? Yes, absolutely. I think that's become so clear. I mean, that's been clear to to lots of us over the past three and a half years since the vote for Brexit. Um, You know, many commentators and and political leftists in particular always denied that that was true. But it's become so clear now. And if you look at the, you know, because the Labour Party here is now in complete and utter turmoil, um, they were warned by some people, and I, I was one of those people, they were warned again and again that they were going to lose their working class vote and that if they went down this route of, um, you know, the Corbynista, radical, very woke, very identitarian and very anti-Brexit politics, you know, some of us said, listen, if you do this, you will lose your working class voters who are are not woke, who don't give a damn about identity politics, who believe in democracy and who want to leave the European Union. And lo and behold, that is exactly what has happened. And what we've seen very clearly over the past few days is that um, pro-Brexit sentiment most clearly comes from working class communities, from so-called left behind communities, from former industrial areas, and pro-Remain sentiment, the kind of that that very Brexit-phobic pro-EU sentiment comes from the metropolitan centres. I mean, this is the new divide in the UK. What's what's fascinating is that a new alliance has been formed uh, in the Tory party between a Tory party that is led by toffs like Boris Johnson, very posh, went to Eton, uh, was a member of the Bullingdon Club at Oxford University. So you've got Boris, the Boris crowd on one side, and then on the other side, these very working class people, former minor, former mining communities, um, people who don't sound like Boris Johnson, who never went to university, who have very different values traditionally to the Tory party. And some of them come from communities which traditionally loathed the Tory party. So this new alliance is absolutely fascinating. I think it's a new form of politics. And People who are saying that Johnsonism is the same as Thatcherism and Reaganism, I think they might be in for a bit of a shock because I think this is actually something quite different to what we saw in the 1980s. So do you necessarily see like Boris Johnson winning all these working class seats as like uh, like a hired vote and they're going to just abandon him in five years? Or do you reckon like they, they might actually stick around and vote Tory again? That's that's a really important question. And it's, it's a bit up in the air. You, you know, Boris, I thought Boris responded to his working class vote really, really well, very graciously. Um, he One of the first things he did, he traveled to the North, 
He did a speech. He talked to these new voters and he, he effectively said to them, listen, I know you don't normally vote for the Tory party. I know you've lent me your votes. I know your hand was probably quivering over the ballot paper. So he, he has a very strong recognition of how unusual this situation is. So the big question is, can he keep them on board? The thing that these voters want more than anything is for Brexit to happen. So if he does that, he, he will already be in their good books. Um, the reason they want Brexit to happen is because they they think democracy is important. They don't like the European Union. They want to have some sense of political agency. And all that the Labour Party was offering them was pity and assistance. You know, we will give you more food banks. We will look after your mental health. We will save you from the effects of Brexit that you stupidly voted for. So the Labour Party went to these communities with a deeply paternalistic, nanny statish message. And of course, working class communities don't like to be treated like children. So the fact that they turn to to Boris is not in the in the least bit surprising. I think it's the least mysterious thing, even if it's a very unusual thing. Um, Boris will need to play it very carefully if he wants to keep them on board uh, up to the next election. I think he will have to rethink some Tory party priorities. I think he will have to be more in favour of public spending that might be than he might instinctively be. I think he will need to engage with these communities in a very democratic way. I think he will need to invest in infrastructure in the Midlands and the North, uh, much of which have been left behind from um, from uh, the British economy. So there's a lot he will have to do. But I am quite optimistic that he will be able to do it. And I think he could well hold on to these people through to the next election. Yeah, no, it's interesting you raise that. I think he's a, he's similar to Scott Morrison in the sense that you wouldn't say he's a rusted-on free marketeer and like he, he doesn't mm. mind intervening in the economy in that way. Now, let's get on to Brexit that you mentioned just then. What's going to happen with that? Do you think that there's we're going to get the deal that they've talked about? Will we get a better deal? Would we get no deal? What do you think the next phase is? There's still a question mark over all of that. This is what's interesting. Um, Boris says that we'll be out next month. Um, his Brexit bill is going to come back to Parliament in the next few days. Um, he's going to pass a law. That the, the latest discussion is that he's going to pass a law to make it illegal for parliamentarians to delay Brexit any further. Because, of course, the big disaster of the past three and a half years is that we had a Remainer Parliament and a Brexit public. So we had a public which voted for Brexit in a majority, the, the largest vote in the history of this country. And we had a parliament which was about 70% pro-Remain. Uh, Labour MPs were about 95% pro-Remain. So we had a parliament that was completely and utterly unreflective of public opinion. And that meant that parliament kept stalling Brexit, kept holding it up, kept delaying it again and again. And, and that's one of the reasons we've seen this, this revolt. And I would call it a revolt. One of the reasons we've seen this revolt in the, in the elections on thir last Thursday is precisely because people wanted to clear out the Remainer Parliament, get rid of these people and put in some fresh blood. And the fact that a lot of that fresh blood has come from northern communities and working class communities is, is really fascinating. So um, what happens with Brexit next is it's still slightly up in the air. I mean, one issue that, that Brexiteers have is that Boris's deal isn't perfect. There are many flaws with it. It is still a bit too similar to Theresa May's deal in the sense that it would keep us beholden to certain um, European Union 
laws and regulations while also diminishing our ability to influence those laws and regulations because, of course, we will no longer be members of the EU. So there are a few things that definitely need to be talked about and definitely need to be ironed out. But the reason I'm still optimistic regardless of that is because it's so clear. The great thing about this election is that the Remainer movement has finally been defeated. I mean, they just can't go on. Uh, you know, there have been so many votes in this country which have expressed public desire to leave the EU. You know, the um, the UK Independence Party won the EU elections in 2014. David Cameron won in 2015 because he stood on a manifesto that said, I will have an EU referendum. Of course, we won the referendum itself in 2016. In 2017, we had a general election where 80% of people supported parties that said they would respect the referendum result. And now, 2019, the people, especially working class people, line up behind the only party that was saying, I, we will get Brexit done. Those are five massive national votes for leaving the European Union in one way or another. And if it's not respected now, then this country will be in serious trouble. I could not agree with you more. And one of the most bizarre things, like we, like Pete said and you said in your article, there are seats, there are seats that haven't voted Conservative for decades. You've got Bishop Auckland turning Tory for the first time in 134 mm. years. Now, if you're working for Labor, you think, okay, this is crisis. We've gone away from the message that was working for decades and decades. We need to rethink. But I go on Twitter and I see that uh, tweets from people high up in Labor or Labor supporters and, you know, to condense all it into a phrase, they just see it as the poor's got it wrong. We need to educate mm. them better on what is best for them. Why do they keep voting against their own interests? Like, where does that come from? And is there any hope for Labor Party to get back on the right path? Um, right now, I'd say there's no hope for Labor at all. And I mean, it's they are a complete and utter mess. It's it's hard to describe what a mess they are in. I mean, this is a party that is completely lost and which doesn't know what it's for, who it represents or what its future is going to be. Uh, now, some of us are taking a, a bit of pleasure in that because we've watched the Labour Party become such a, a, a distant, metropolitan, identitarian machine. And we've said again and again, listen, you're losing contact with your roots. You're losing contact with, with the people you were founded to represent. And, and they just wouldn't listen. So, you know, they're getting what they deserve in many, many ways. Um, but you're absolutely right that the response of many uh, Labour officials and Labour supporters is basically to do some prol bashing. They're bashing the proles, you know, the stupid, ignorant working classes, uh, especially in the north and in, and in Wales, outside of London and outside of the other big cities. You know, these these idiotic people who read too many tabloid newspapers and who are racist and who don't like Muslims and all this stuff. I mean, they're coming out with so much bile against ordinary people who, who, who had the temerity not to vote Labour for the first time in their lives. You know, it, it's, it's a really disgusting and elitist attitude, in fact. And the irony, of course, is that it's confirming to many of those voters why they were right to turn their back on the Labour Party. This is a party that now loathes those communities. It looks upon them with utter contempt. And it thinks that they have been, um, you know, led astray by demagogues. It thinks they, they are so gullible and stupid. So the amount of snobbery that's coming out from the Labour Party is is fascinating and, and, and disturbing. You know, the, the truth of the matter is the fascinating thing about what's happening in the UK right now. And I do think this holds lessons for 
political parties across the, the, the Anglosphere and, and possibly across Western Europe too, is that the Tory party is no longer really the Tory party and the Labour party is no longer really the Labour party because, because the Tory party now has this huge unprecedented, unprecedented intake of working class MPs and working class voters. And that will unavoidably have an impact on how the Tory party operates and how it conceives of itself. I think a, a positive impact in my view. And then on the other side, the Labour Party has lost its traditional working class voters and is now a very uneasy alliance of um, kind of southern uh, metropolitan middle class voters in southern England alongside um, students and and some ethnic minority groups. I mean, it really is a it's a it's a fragile alliance between those different constituencies with no real working class component. So the two parties have changed beyond recognition, which is why I would say that this election feels like a form of uh, regime regime change. You know, we've seen regime change across the Red Wall territory, and we've seen the parties transform in in a way that's very very um, unprecedented. So. Um, I think the Tory party will do well from the change that's just taken place for them. And I think Labour probably will do badly. And, and it could we could well see a split in the Labour party in the next few years. That is very interesting. And we'll look to that uh, with great interest. Uh, regime change, that's an interesting way of putting it. I haven't heard that before. Now, Brendan, how did you celebrate the victory? A few frothies in the spiked office over in Australia. We uh, had the results rolling in on a Friday night. So it was great timing for us. What did you get up to? Um, the, 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 I, I can't describe to you how happy I was when I saw the exit poll. So the, the exit poll is the, obviously the first thing that comes out around 10 o'clock on Thursday night. And uh, I was so nervous. So many people were nervous because um, there had been a massive YouGov poll about two weeks before the election, which showed that the Tories would get a massive unprecedented majority. And then about a, a few days before the election, there was another massive YouGov poll which showed that that situation had changed dramatically and the Tories could either get a small majority or there could be a hung parliament. So on election day itself, people were incredibly nervous. We all thought that the, the Corbyn's Labour Party had somehow pulled back, was going to do better than expected. So when that exit poll came through and showed an absolutely historically devastating result for Labour, I mean... There was so much joy, not across the whole country, but across significant sections of the country and among lots of people I know who think Brexit is the most important issue. So um, I unfortunately was working. So I was watching it and typing and emailing and doing some phone calls and um, doing radio stuff and drinking wine as I was doing it. So <laughs> it was a, it was a very interesting moment. And then lots of us went drinking and celebrating uh, the following day. So, but, but it, it, I, I've spoken to so many people whose response is one of elation, and that includes people who are not traditionally inclined to the Tory party, and some people who've either never voted for the Tory party or, or only voted for it the first time ever this year. So what's fascinating is that people feel a sense of relief, a real sense of joy, in fact, that the, the most horrible party in the UK, which was Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party, which had been infected with anti-Semitism and had lost uh, touch with its working class roots and had become a very chattering class, contemptuous, authoritarian party. People are incredibly happy that this party has had its wings clipped and that that 
that wing of the political class has now been put back in its box and can't so easily throw its weight around. And and I think people in Australia and people in the US and people in other uh, in European countries should actually feel inspired by the British result because it does demonstrate that it is possible to push back against the PC elites and to push back against the sneering elites and to push back against uh, the nanny state tendencies of the technocratic class and to do politics differently. I think that's the key lesson of the British election. Brendan O'Neill, editor of Spikes, one of the greatest websites in the planet. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thank you. Okay, we have our last, hey, what did we miss? The young IPA quiz. Last one for the year. Uh, we have a very, very special panel. Adam, obviously, back uh, from the opening bit. Uh, Patrick Hannaford. Oh, very, <laughs> it's an audio-based podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Do it out loud. Great, and, great uh, to be here, Bolt. Yeah, and Evan Mulholland. Uh, so what are we doing? Are we, you're, def- you're coming back because you wanted an extra bite. Uh, you lost to Andrew Bushnell in trying circumstances last week. Trying, Bushnell, yeah, disgraceful circumstances. <laughs> Bushnell not here today. So he's abdicated his throne. Now, I think it should be a neutral crown. I should have it just in the middle. No one should be able to wear the crown. But uh, I understand you have a I differing opinion. It, it should just naturally go to the... the uh, person it was stolen from <laughs> but that's okay. alright we'll leave it there well, for now. We'll leave it there <laughs> it's anyone's to play for anyone's to win Bushnell <laughs> not here to defend his uh, crown alright so last quiz of the year if it is your first quiz you've got nine questions uh, one point on for correct answers one point off for incorrect answers and then the who am I at the end alright I'm now just realising, uh, since Pat's here, there's a few stuff from Pat's own article, so I'm really <laughs> going to be leaning on you for the first couple of rounds. I probably won't remember it, to All be honest. Right. Uh, uh, your, your first question is, in Pat Hannaford, this guy's article on Sky News website and on ipa.org.au, how many hours approximately does it take to study to become a hairdresser in New South Wales? Pat. Did I say that twice? No, I didn't. Pat. It's 1,200 and... Uh, uh, it's the closest to the pin. Okay. No points off. Sorry? 1280. 1280. 1300. 1300. 1270. 1270. Adam gets a point. It is 1224. <laughs> Damn it. That's a good steal. <laughs> yeah, great <laughs> steal from a different person's article. That's a rough look for you, Pat. I worked out those figures as well. <laughs> uh, all right. So, uh, chance to redeem, Pat. Also in that article, how many licenses do you need in New South Wales to open a restaurant? 75. Pat. Let's go closest to the pin. We're doing closest to the pin. Yep. 74. 74. Okay, 76. Oh, he's going to beat me as well. Evan Mulholland, 72. <laughs> My goodness, Pat. Read your own damn work. <laughs> uh, but that does show Australia's red tape crisis. 72 licenses to open up a restaurant. It's a lot. That's, That's a lot. Uh, all right. Which EPL player has plunged the organisation into chaos, EPL being English Premier League soccer, plunged the organisation into chaos after speaking out against China's treatment of Uyghur Muslims? Ooh. EPL player. This wasn't in my article. This is not. Yeah. In, this is no longer in Pat's article. This is not a commentary in Australia's pin, or... crisis. No. Closest to the pin, just named soccer <laughs> players. <laughs> and I was just deemed based on play style. Who's the closest? I didn't do my generic Google search of news and uh, sport. Yeah, well, you're a media guy, Evan. You need to be on top of this. So, no takers. All right, it was Mesut Ertzil from Arsenal. So, score check so after three questions. Yeah. Adam won, Evan won, and Pat, despite two questions from his own <laughs> articles, is on a big fat zero. Uh, all right, how many seats of the Conservative Party win in the British election uh, last week. I think Pat got there first. It is 365. It is correct. Ask and get it wrong, so... 
Lucky you got that first. Yep. <laughs> and that was not a closest to the bin. That it wasn't was, even uh, in your article. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> so, probably why he got it. Yeah, if he wrote it in his article, it would have <laughs> just completely <laughs> gone. <laughs> one ear out the other. All right, uh, Labor won 201 seats of the Conservatives 365. When was the last time Labor had that few seats? Evan. Evan. Uh, 1930. I'll go closest to the pen. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is incorrect. Does anyone want to? Is it a point off? Forget yeah, it, it is a point off. Oh, so no. if anyone wants in, no, because I just feel if I announce it's closest to the pen, <laughs> yeah. it's like he's wrong, but it's close. <laughs> well, no one else is having a stab, so, so I'm right. Uh, no, it's uh, 1935. Unfortunately, <laughs> history doesn't change on whether or not oh, someone else has a pen. Thirty, so <laughs> yeah. it's just like, come on. Uh, yeah, well, 1935. Uh, all right, as this decade ends, Donald Trump, Scott Morrison, and Boris Johnson are the leaders of their respective nations. Mm-hmm. Who were the leaders at the start of the decade? Evan. Evan. So 2010. 2010. We've got, uh, so at the start of 2010? Yes. Uh, uh, well, like uh, yep, 31st yep, of yep. December 2009, 1st of January 2010. Julia Gillard, Barack Obama, and David Cameron. I think. I think it's Kevin Rudd. I think that's a point off, that's isn't it? 2009. No, 2009's no. bill. Do I need to check this? Yep. All right. <laughs> Apparently I do. Jeez, that was deli- like Evan's voice dropped about three octaves just saying that. Okay, we've just had a brief interlude after I was uh, incorrectly challenged in the massive, massive boost to my own ego. I was right. Evan was wrong on two counts. On two counts. It was both uh, Kevin Rudd and That's not Gordon a Brown. Negative, is it? Uh, it should to punish you for negative. your insolence, but I'm if a nice. It's the midway dunter. <laughs> no, I've got it beneath my seat. It's oh ready no. for you. All right. Well, point off for Evan, which is punishment enough because I'm going to gloat over this for the next four to six months. I've got to say, like, since it's the last quiz, whoever gets this crown is going to have it for the longest time. So yeah. I will also be able to hold this over Evan for the longest time. Uh, all right. Uh, so, like I said, we're back in. Uh, as this decade, uh, it, sorry, Scott Morrison, Boris Johnson, Donald Trump, leaders of their country now. Now, where were they? What jobs did they hold at the start uh, at the Ooh. end of last decade? All of them. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where were they in life? Boris Johnson, uh, Donald uh, Trump, Scott Morrison. Um, so Boris Johnson was the mayor of London. Correct. Uh, Donald Trump was a TV billionaire. Yep, host of The Apprentice. And Scott Morrison was in Parliament as he, a minister. As immigration minister. No, as shadow minister. Oh, God. He danced around it. Did we pay the minister or the shadow minister? I, I'm not like In Parliament. <laughs> you can't, you That's can't correct. Pay the minister. You've yeah. got to say in shadow Parliament. minister for immigration. Right. First answer was in Parliament. Yeah, but then you went in to say that he was a minister. So yeah, unfortunately, Pat. in the foot. Yeah. Should just stop. Sorry, Pat. So, yeah, shadow immigration minister for Scott Morrison, mayor of London for Boris Johnson, and host of The Apprentice for Donald Trump. Okay, two more questions. Score check. Uh, Evan on nine, minus one, Pat on zero, and Adam on one. So yep. he's winning, uh, and <laughs> could he take it all away? Who directs, <laughs> so who directs the new Star Wars movie? Coming out this week. I actually did read this, but I forgot. No idea. It's directed. Just think like sci-fi director. It's probably this guy. <laughs> okay, no one's taking it. JJ Abrams. All right. Uh, yep. What was the highest grossing film of the decade worldwide? Oh, a lot of big blockbuster mm. movies to choose it'd from be, here. It'd be a superhero one, but I don't think it was. But I don't. I don't. I'm, I've got it like a, a lead here. In, I don't in, want a, <laughs> in a quiz like this, a point is worth. Yeah, 10. I don't want to throw <laughs> I know, it away. It's I know. so hard to get points in this one. I think I know what it is. Okay. I, I'm not. I'm, 
nah, you All right. Just well, go for it. Yeah, points are off the table. No points off. What would have? What would you have gone? Is it Avatar? It is not Avatar. Oh. That was last decade anyway. The decade before. Oh, whoops. yeah. yeah. Um, All right, I was really yeah. off. You know, we're supposed to have like three Avatar movies by now. Yeah, I, <laughs> someone told me that they just can them. Uh, no, just James Cameron. Just uh, every time he's about to post it, like post it up where he is, he just takes another submarine ride somewhere. So, not gonna be an Avatar uh, movie for so a while. Movies this decade. The points are off the table. Okay. Yeah. Well then, surely it is a superhero movie. Yeah, it'd be that and, uh, um, that final um, av- uh, Endgame Avengers. Yeah, one. if anyone had said yeah. Endgame, they would have got the point, which would have been yeah. worth twenty. All right, uh, sorry. Coming into the Who Am I? Adam Storm one, Evan minus one, Pat on zero. Who Am I? For five points, I was born in Germany, but became world famous in America. Okay, a lot of silence. A lot of silence in an audio based format. <laughs> Pat. Pat. Oh, no. Albert Einstein. Not Albert Einstein. Point off the bat. <laughs> yes. Don't know why you'd go for the five-liner <laughs> in a quiz like this. All right, four points. I'm pr- known primarily for my philanthropic work. Still a lot of silence. Yeah. Let's think out loud in an audio-based quiz. How about that, boys? Evan. You don't even lie. George Soros. It's not George Soros yeah, either. Point, in, point uh, off forever. I am doing really <laughs> well. <laughs> this, this is the tortoise of the hair. <laughs> Adam got his steady. point early and was like, Just you know what, I'm going to park on, on this one. All right. Uh, for three points, I've recently come under criticism for my employment conditions and for my moving my residency to a tax-free location. Ooh. What year did you say he was born? I haven't said anything about the year he was born. Not a damn thing. So we've got a German... Philanthropist. Yep. Moved to in America. World famous in America. Evan. Evan. Elon Musk. Not Elon Musk. Another point off for Evan. Hemorrhaging. Hemorrhaging. All right. So we're moving on to two points. So what we know so far born in Germany, moved to America, became world famous, philanthropic work, uh, criticism for employment conditions, and uh, living in a tax free location. Okay. For two points. I'm also known for my exotic pet collection. I've got no idea. No one's got any idea. Jeez. Yeah. I reckon there's people going yeah. behind <laughs> screaming out the name. <laughs> All right. Well, for one point, for one point, I think I will without question perform a duet with the remaining members of High Five at one point this month. This might be the first <laughs> Who Am I that no one gets. All right. Well, f- yeah, is this the, like super everyone is, all right, well, Santa Claus, for the love of God, gentlemen. Oh, that is... <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, that's a cheap <laughs> shot. Yeah. Come on. All right, well, Evan Born in Germany. Yes. Uh, what is it? Sinterklaas. That's a German tradition. Then he goes to America, gets involved with the marketing team, and becomes Santa Claus, world famous. Employment conditions. Doesn't he live in no, the North, North Pole? Yeah, it's tax-free. <laughs> <laughs> who's, paying, who's he paying tax to in the North Pole? Oh, wow. Yeah, it's got slave labor oh, with the elves. It's got a bunch of reindeer hanging around. <laughs> Best quiz I've ever done. <laughs> Adam wins. All right. Wait, wait, really, wait, wait, wait. Did Adam win on one point? <laughs> yeah. And it was a cheap shot. I don't think it was the first one as well. Tortoise in the hair. You get your point early, you stay on it. And you you invest it for it. later. Oh, All right, cool. Lesson. All right, we got Thank more show for you guys coming up after this. Okay, well done, Adam. Is that your first quiz win? It is. It is. It's the tortoise in the hair situation. Get one point and sit on it. Yeah, as long exactly. As you can. Tortoise in the hair situation. I will defend my who am I to my dying breath. That was genius by me. Everyone Ooh, hated it. Okay. Everyone yeah. can suck it. Yeah. I'm All okay. right. 
Uh, let's run through some stories from Made Life this year. So I want to start off, well, with this one that you've brought to us. Liam Gallagher, rock star icon. You yourself are a rock star. You and your Liam Not Gallagher. Not quite Liam Gallagher status. For now, for now. For but now. anyway, tell us what happened. All right. Kind of funny, kind of really sad. Liam Gallagher was playing a gig last week at uh, Margaret Court. Very yep. big, very big um, arena. Anyway, and he's playing, he's through, like in his last song, the, like the closing song, and halfway through, they cut him off. Cut all the sound because apparently there's an 11 p.m. curfew at Margaret Court Arena, and if they were to play over, it would cost them two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, I think we got the clip of what exactly what went down. Sorry, for people that weren't uh, able to watch that, so you can hear the boos come in at the end there. You can see Liam Gallagher walk around stage. He's not a happy guy. Fairly so. Yeah. $250,000 fine yeah. after 11 p.m. And he was in his last song. Last like, they song. They couldn't have just let him just... Supersonic as well. Huge song. And you can see how much everyone's loving it because it, it almost doesn't sound like they've cut him off because they're singing it so loud. Exactly. Which is reassuring, but if that's not a nanny state, yeah. I don't know what is. The other part of this is, in Melbourne, for people that don't live here, Margaret Court Arena isn't exactly like in the heart of the city. It's yeah. not like Madison Square Garden or anything. Like You have to really complain if you had noise problems past 11 p.m. and you could hear Margaret Court Arena. I also, don't know where you're living and I don't know how loud it is, but trust me, you're not hearing it. Also, you're not just listening to any like, you know, bloke down the pub. Yes. It's Liam Gallagher yes. playing a huge show. He doesn't come here that often. Yeah. Like headline show. You're not listening to the worst thing in the world. Yeah. And my last point on this one, we always make fun of Sydney for rightly sorry for the lockout laws mm-hmm. and they're repealing lockout laws and apparently we can't listen to Liam Gallagher past 11pm. So Sydney... They're coming at us, and I don't like it. Yeah, I, I, like I like our power dynamic at the moment. I don't want to lose it. All right, uh, another one I want to bring up. So uh, Trump impeachment stuff, it's going down. There's a lot of hearings. I mean, I think we had the stat that it was watched. Day one was watched more than World Series of Baseball, but apparently hasn't come up against all manner of sporting tournaments because the Demo- one of the Democrats who's on the committee, uh, Cedric Richmond, was busted, and I think we got the clip here, was busted watching the President's Cup golf tournament while he should have been uh, listening and participating in the impeachment hearings. Yeah, so terrible. But it gives me reassurance to know that I think this impeachment like hearing, just the whole thing must be a big joke. If yeah. he's watching golf in it, I think I think it's all just a pretty big joke. Yeah, the other part for me was how brazen it was. Like, he was watching yeah. it in full screen. Now, yeah. I allegedly, no one can prove it, might sometimes watch Denver Nuggets matches or American football matches when I'm supposed to. You go 116th screen. Yeah. Full screen no is know, so a madman's game. <laughs> like, yeah, and, like, not even on his phone. Not He's even never on his watched phone. a movie in class. He's on a laptop, and you can clearly see it for people who weren't able to watch. But I will also offer this in his defense. Uh, I think we got the clip again, but with audio. This is what was going on while he was watching golf. Oh, Mr. Nagoose? Mr. Nagoose votes no. Ms. McBath? No. Ms. McBath votes no. Mr. Stanton? No. Mr. Stanton votes no. Ms. Dean? No. Ms. Dean votes no. I mean, it's dry. It is. <laughs> I'm actually on this guy's yeah. side. I mean, I don't like golf. I would much rather watch golf. Yeah, golf is pretty boring, <laughs> that was, but that is terrible. That was, uh, and I think that was like 14 hours in as well. All right, I'm anyway. surprised he's awake. Exactly. Uh, so last story we've got, last story for the year, which makes me sad. But anyway, it is a good story. Uh, Kensington, well, uh, anyway, we've got the clip from Sunrise and then I'll explain afterwards. 
about it. Kensington Community Child Care is replacing Santa with a sustainability pirate for its picnic. The centre is defending the move, saying it wants everyone to feel welcome regardless of their beliefs. I mean, this is a huge win out there for people that enjoy the sight of children crying. I mean, imagine like a whole kindergarten of kids so G'd up to meet Santa and suddenly the sustainability pirate wanders in to teach them about recycling. It is. And what I don't get about this whole thing Santa, like, you don't have to agree with Santa, yep. but he's generally a good guy. Pirates, not good guys. <laughs> They're the bad, objectively, always the bad guys. And he's meant to be the good guy here. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, the other part is, like, I thought Santa delivered toys to everyone, like all boys and girls. So the idea that, like, he's just going to, you know, yeah. hand out on, based on religious dogma, that is not the that Santa that I know never happens. Love. Exactly. All right. Uh, crushing. Hopefully Santa can eventually turn up because the sustainability pirate stinks. All right. Uh, that is it for this week's show. And that is it for the Young IPA podcast this year. It's been awesome. Our ratings have gone up so much. We've had so many new listeners. Uh, it's been really cool hearing from people on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook about how much they love the show. So thank you so much for listening. We'd only be able to do the show if we had listeners. So uh, it's really good to have you here. Uh, so have yeah, have a Merry Christmas. We'll see you again next year. If you are listening through iTunes, make sure you leave us a five-star review and leave a comment because it helps people come to the show. Tell your friends and family about it. I mean, politics will eventually come up at a Christmas lunch. So if you can give the podcast a slight plug to the people on that table, that'd be awesome. Uh, and yeah, we're also on YouTube. So subscribe to our YouTube channel. All right. See you guys next year.